Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, Wizards fans? Welcome to another episode of Believe in Wizards Draft. This is our draft-focused spinoff. I'm going to be talking to Kevin Broom of the Soul Wizards podcast and and Bolts Forever, where uh, he put out a big board recently. So we're going to go through and just sort of talk about our sort of collective big board, what that looks like between the two of us, how we reconcile all those differences, and, and just sort of like build a consensus between each other and what the Wizards should do specifically moving into this upcoming draft. Again, the draft is Thursday night. We will be doing a live show, which Kevin will be a part. Also, Damo from the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast will be joining us, and we'll be doing it as a way to raise money for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So during the live show, which will be streamed on Twitter, the Believe in Wizards Twitter, and on YouTube, Believe in Wizards YouTube, I'll be putting the shows on there, at least the ones Jihadi and I do on the YouTube account moving forward. Uh, so yeah, you can watch us in real time. It'll also be saved on there so you can watch them later, and you'll be able to hear that the whole podcast on this feed also. But I think if you just want to hear like real-time Wizards-specific content during the draft, we're going to be able to give that to you, what those picks mean for the Wizards, the ones that happened before them, you know, how it affects us downstream, things like that. Should we move back in? Are there guys we would trade back in for? All that kind of stuff, what this means and what this signals about the sort of philosophy for the rebuild here moving forward, the picks they make. So I think we'll be able to give you some, all, some really good stuff, better than what you'll get on ESPN. I don't know if we need to hear every white point guard in the draft be comp to Peyton Pritchard or Bobby Sura, uh, that sort of stuff. I, I think we'll be able to give you a little bit more wizard specific stuff at the very least. If you want to sponsor that particular episode, so if you've got something you want to plug, you know, a, your own podcast or, or it's your business or just anything in general, we're happy to uh, to help you do that. And we'll give you a shout out. We'll read whatever you want us to read during the air. And uh, you can do that by making a donation again to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The link is in the episode here. We're about $1,000 at the time of recording. That's awesome. I think that's just a cool thing for us to be able to say we did as a show to give back to a really good charity. And uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to that. So if you want any more details, you can also reach out to me at believeinwizards at gmail.com and we can kind of talk through any of the details or something like that if you want. As always, we're brought to you by Stateside Vodka and their Surfside Hard Iced Teas, Hard Lemonades. Hard half and halves, hard whatever you want. They're all delicious. The the flavors are all perfect. And you get the sampler pack, get them in the DMV area. They're all great. Get them like pretty much everywhere in Ocean City right now. So if you're at the beach this summer, tell them you want to surf side, help our company, you know, help our guys out here and um, you know, continue to build uh, awareness for the brand and, and all the nice things they've done for the show here. Also brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your championship finals, info, stats, news, and scores. Obviously, NBA and NHL are basically just done for several months here, but there's probably some bets you can make on the offseason and things like that. And there's obviously uh, MLB, UFC, boxing, golf, tennis, all that great stuff during the summer. You can even bet on some summer league games if you're a real degenerate, which I don't know if the Wizards uh, have a good draft. Maybe I'll want to bet on their summer league team. We'll see. It's still the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. Get in on the action today, head to the website and use our promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Okay, with that, let's bring on Kevin Broom and let's talk some draft and get you all ready for Thursday night. 
All right. By the time people are listening to this, it will be almost time for the Wizards to be making a draft pick. We're, we're a couple days away here. Uh, Kevin Broom is joining me. Kevin, thanks for coming on. I'm excited. You just released your big board on Bolts Forever. So I think this is a good opportunity for us to just kind of talk through where we're at, who are the names to pay attention to, how do we break them up, all that kind of good stuff. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is, I always enjoy these conversations. So um, I'm very much looking forward to this. <laughs> and you know what? At the end of the day, we're all going to be like 50% wrong anyway. So I love that we're pouring all this time into it to just be like, well, okay, uh, we had Amon Thompson three and realistically he's a G leaguer. I'm just kidding. I don't think that'll be the case, but I don't know. Even the best people have like a crazy, you know, low success rate. I think uh, I remember seeing something a couple years ago that even the best mock draft, like, and it was based on like real NBA team Intel mm -hmm. was still only like 80% right or something or like 78% right or something like that. And that was someone hearing from teams directly about who they were actually going to take. And you still yeah, yeah. couldn't get them right. Well, and that doesn't mean the teams got it right. It was just that they guessed the order. So the people actually, you know, projecting which of these guys will work out. Half of yeah. them probably won't. I, I'm not trying to predict who Same. NBA teams will take. I'm yeah. really just kind of doing my own thing here. And I will say that in terms of like actual draft success, even like the best drafters yeah. you know like the guys who actually make the picks or really the groups that actually mm -hmm. make the picks they're they're still wrong a lot it's oh, it's yeah. really difficult i mean these are 19 to 20 18 to 25 year olds mm -hmm. you know 18 the youngest people in the draft are 18 the oldest are about 25 and it's really hard to predict the future of like 18 19 20 year olds and um how they're going to develop physically whether they're going to work because there's just so much that's still in development, both physically and mentally. And uh, so, yeah, I think to, to me, like the real message is like get more picks because yep. more, more swings that more swings get you more hits is really I, the way. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think something you hit on there is really interesting too. just I think basketball is like the hardest sport to do this for really like football. You're drafting a guy almost into a ready made projectable role. Like the positions are so specific and I don't know, we took a guy as a left tackle and we eventually had to make him a guard. Like, okay. Um, right. Oh, so be it. Like you, you still kind of have some sense for, you know, what that looks like for him. These guys are fitting into such a like specific context. When you go to one team, how they want to play, how they're willing to use you, how certain skills develop to allow you to like translate your other skills better to the NBA. And then just it it's really re like re you rely on the people around you to kind of like make your stuff work to some extent, too. And when yeah. it's it's only five of you, if you're the like the piece that doesn't fit right, I don't know, you can end up out of rotation. You can end up on another team. And if you end up like I, I remember talking about this with Sam Decker. And if anybody gets bored, listen to the episode we did about Johnny Davis over the, um, over last season and him talking about his own trade you know, from one team to another really early in his career and then ending up on a bench of a team that he was just kind of like a piece in a bigger, a bigger deal. It was like, I went from getting like a shit ton of minutes to like, okay, well, like, yeah, if, if we let you practice, you're welcome. So, yeah, you know, you, I mean, obviously if you're killing it right out of the gates, that's, that's different. But for someone like him, you know, a, a pick outside the lottery, it's, it's probably the difference between being a ninth man on a team and, and being overseas right now. So it's just yeah. really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, again, so to bring it back to as well, there's so much that, that players have within their own control. Yep. And a lot of it is how smart and how hard a guy's willing to work sure. 
you know, you, you get a lot of, a lot of guys like I takes like Julian Phillips, for example, right. Mm-hmm. He's a great athlete and couldn't shoot. Right. Or he shot poorly. Shot poorly and this year. Yep. if he works on a shot, you think about, Oh, I mean, let's forget Julian Phillips for take Kawhi Leonard. Right. Mm-hmm. He shot what below 30% on threes in college. And Paul George couldn't shoot either. I mean, it's, you know, it's another guy. And uh, he got to the NBA and the Spurs put him with their shooting coach and well, Chip England, I guess. And he started, he, it, the lesson took, right. Because Chip England failed with some guys too. Right. And so, but the lessons took and Kawhi became a a terrific shooter. Mm -hmm. And, but so there are lots of guys who, who have learned to, or there are guys who learned to shoot, who put in the work, who developed. And then you've got guys like, like, I mean, like Denny, not to, not to pick on Denny Avdia too much, but, you know, clearly he, he hasn't developed in his shooting and whether that's because there's something, there's an issue with him in his like hand-eye coordination or whether that's because he hasn't put in the right kind of work yet. I don't know, but the point is he still didn't improve. You take a guy like John Wall, he got a better shooting, but not, didn't become like a good shooter. Right. And so it's just, uh, it, it's a question of how much and how hard guys are willing to work at their craft. You said this either in, in your article with your big board or in one of the comments underneath, and I, I can't remember which it is, but it, it feels like this draft more than any I can remember. There are so many guys where it's like swing skill, shooting. If this yeah. guy shoots, he could be a five-time all-star. And if he doesn't, yeah. well, he's probably a seventh man. So it, yeah. I, I, I've never remembered that because these guys have a lot of upside, but it gets uh, it gets a little dicey at a certain point. So it's interesting that shooting is like the most important skill or not the most important skill, but it's like, there's a premium on it. It's become and, more important even. Yeah. And so, and you know, you got Yoda here, got the stats and we've got, you know, the top five are 27% three point shooting, 32% three point shooting, 25% three point shooting 33, and then another 33. And it's like, I think those guys deserve to be top five, mm-hmm. but you know, it's um, the, the, it's an interesting thing that these guys can get to this point and not have developed good shooting. Unless I'm blinding on somebody off the top of my head because I, I don't have like consensus board in front of me, but you could make a case that, uh, well, other than than Brandon Miller, like Taylor Hendricks is the next best shooter in the consensus, you know, top eight or nine, and it's like no one knew who Taylor Hendricks was at, at the NBA level before this year. He was like outside the top 75 high school recruits coming into the season. And and those guys never typically end up, um, you know, one and done players. And then you have two this year with him and, and Bryce Sensabaugh. But I do think there is shooting available in this draft. It just seems like the guys that are going to do that, that's sort of their thing. Whereas like if any of these other guys shoot it, it's like, holy shit, uh, this guy is, is something special. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say the one other thing I want to point out here before we get going, because I, I know you've seen this when you've posted your stuff and I've seen it under mine. Somebody inevitably says, uh, you have Bilal Koulibaly going in the top seven. No team is going to like, oh, you have him seventh. Who's who's taking him at seven? There's a very big difference between a big board and a mock draft. Big yeah. board is here is how, how I feel about these players in the order I think about them. I think you and I both do this. We're like the number is less important as opposed to just sort of grouping them by tier. And for me, if somebody's if the tier is five to nine, anybody within five to nine, if a team wants to take them, I'm not really going to give you a lot of heartburn for it at that point. 
Whereas if I have somebody ninth on a mock draft, it's I'm projecting the team picking at nine is taking that person at nine. So just want right. to caveat yeah. that up front. Yeah, exactly. I, I yeah, exactly. I'm not, I, I think we, we, I don't think either one of us are trying to predict who teams are actually going to take. I think that's very difficult to do. Exactly. You have to have like real crazy intel. And again, even those guys don't have like a, an insane success rate. All right. So I think, Kevin, we're just going to run through these and talk about sort of who we've got and what tiers and things like that. And then we can get and spend a special amount of time on the tier that we think leads to picks that are likely the wizard. So or who yeah. the wizard should pick if, or who we would pick, even if we were we were them based on the tier. So, yeah, first tier, a man, a man amongst boys uh, by himself. Victor Womanyama, uh, just sort of clear favorite in his own yeah. island here. I did get a little caught up during those G League Ignite Metropolitans 92 games for like 20 seconds of like, could Scoot make a real run at this? Because he was insane. Uh, and and obviously the year didn't play out that way. But uh, yeah, Victor, he's just got to be the guy. He dominated a grown man's league and they were really good. And he was the best player in that league. And And just one last little tiny thing on that, like the a couple years ago where it was like, well, Alper and Shungun was the MVP of his league. It's like, yeah, people played in that league, said that they went out of their way to like cartoonishly inflate his value by like feeding him like he was, you know, vintage Hakeem Olajuwon in the post and he didn't guard anybody. That's not Victor. Like this is not like a, a fake MVP of a league to hype up a local product. Like he was good as shit. So um, he earned that spot. Yeah. Although I will say uh, Shingun has actually become a pretty good pro. So. He's you know, the worst defensive player I watched in the NBA this year, but he's a great offensive player. So if they can put the right dudes around him, he'll be a really good player for a long time. I, I'm not trying to shit. Yeah, no, I don't. Just, sure. You know, but but somebody will inevitably do the like, well, I mean, who's he was an MVP against grown man thing. They're, they're not the same, at least like this is closer to Luca was really good in the ACB mm-hmm. than yeah. it is that. Yeah, I mean, this is a good league. And like you said, he he dominated. So. I mean, I think he's clearly the number one pick. I mean, that said, Scoot is um, would be a you know one or two pick in just about any draft. I think. Yep. Uh, all right. So why don't you run through your tier two here, and then I'll I'll give you mine, and and we'll compare notes a little. So bit. Um, with you know with the full looking at the full season, uh, Scoot ends up kind of in a tier almost by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have the Thompsons. Um, and uh, Kulabali, um, a little bit below that. So I would say Scoot pretty much in a tier by himself. I mean, he, again, he's playing, he's playing in a grown, you know, against grown, mm-hmm. grown up, you know, grown men, as they say. And um, he's just, just 19 years old. He did not shoot well. He wasn't very efficient. Lots of turnovers, all that kind of stuff. But he also, you know, he hit the boards. He, he did a lot of rebounding, a lot of playmaking. And um, he's high, high usage as well. So, you know, he carried the load for that team. And, yeah, the efficiency is a little bit worrisome. Um, you know, you, th- there's some injuries and stuff, but he's he's a worthy number two pick. He's a hell of, hell of a prospect. Yep. I think that's totally fair. So, um, anyway, so then for me, the next group is the Thompson Twins and Bilal Kulabali, um, okay. kind of all in the same tier. And how you want to sort them? I mean, I think I would have it Amen, Asar, and um, then Bilal. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm open to arguments in any 
on any of those? It, it's interesting, right? Like those are three guys with potentially like the hardest, you know, record this year to quantify. No one really knows what the overtime elite translation really looks like into the yeah. league yet. They're older for that league. And then you've got Koulibaly that played against children in a not particularly good league. His, his most of his season competition might actually be worse than OTE, if not sort of reasonably equivalent. Well, like he, I, he played most of the, the bulk of his games did come against um, the know, bulk that, of his production. Excuse me. Sorry. Like his, uh, yeah, his yeah, explosive, yeah. you know, the 21 point games came against other under 20 guys in a league yeah. where most of them won't be like meaningful pros at the overseas level either. So yeah. it, it's just like a weird fit. Like most of the year for Metropolitan's 92 with Victor, he was like a bench player and or fifth starter. And then slowly at the end of the year is where he went nuts and people were like, oh shit, this guy can actually do those things. So it just, th there's some like risk baked into any of those three guys, yeah. but the ceiling is so tantalizing. And if any of the three of them hit it, you could be looking at a guy that's like a star. So it, it's just um, like, it, it's a bigger swing. And I think there might be certain teams that have like a little bit of risk aversion that, that might, drop a couple of those guys yeah. and i was listening to the field of 68 network does a pre-draft pre pre-draft pre mock draft and they had sam bassini jonathan washerman and uh, matt babcock on and they were talking about how if if amen doesn't go to the rockets at four or end up with the pistons at five there's a real shot where those guys go somewhere in the seven to nine range hmm. because the next couple of teams just don't really draft those kind of guys in or they don't make as much sense. So, uh, you know, if you're Wizards fans, that's that's good news if you like Amon Thompson. So if I were this picking in this part of the draft, I'm I'm OK with a bigger swing, but Scoot is safer to me, I think, than than any of those guys. And and I still really like Brandon Miller. So so my tier two was Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson. Amon Thompson, and I told you this before we recorded, like literally depending on which one I've watched most recently, yeah. I could talk myself into any of the three of them. Uh, so I, I noticed, Kevin, that Brandon Miller is the missing person from our kind of next tier here. Um, yeah. I, I guess he was he close. Where where was he for you? Yeah, he's he's close, but just in the next like tier down, there's like a delineation there in, in the way is that I a, score. It. Is it a sizable enough drop, or it was like he just barely missed out on the tier two kind of situation? Um, he missed decently. Okay, I would say decently. You know, he's he's twenty. You know, like the Thompson twins are, and his production was was very good. Mm -hmm. Um, but he also isn't like an overwhelming athlete, so he didn't get any like boost there in Yoda. Mm -hmm. So. The, the, and, you know, this could be completely wrong because obviously he played for a good team. He's a very good college player. And the challenge, with, as you mentioned, with the Thompson Twins, I have no I spent a lot of time trying to come up with how do I quantify mm -hmm. the level of competition at Overtime Elite? Because, you know, these are 20 year, 20 year olds who were playing against high school kids for the most part. And it's like, how do you how do you account for that? I, I don't really know. And with Kulabali, I spent a lot of time on his evaluation as well trying to weight the the under 21 versus um versus his you know experience in the in the real pro league because it was a strong pro league now he was pretty good in the in the uh against grown people and sure. then he, like he said he dominated against younger folks so 
it's tough. I mean, he's close enough that like if somebody were to say if like you preferred Brandon Miller over the, those guys, I wouldn't argue too much in part just because I have a lot of uncertainty, especially on the Thompsons and mm-hmm. a little less uncertainty with uh, Kulabali, but um, I'm, I have a lot of uncertainty with him too, you know. I was listening to Jonathan Gavoni this morning talk about how despite Scoot having a much better workout with the Hornets, they still have Brandon Miller higher on their list right now. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know if that's posturing because they think maybe Brandon Miller is an easier sell for Portland at three and they're hoping and they can flip or I don't know. They want somebody to think that Scoot is gettable if they trade into two. Like I, I, you know, who knows what that could could really be. This is the second time I've heard now that Brandon Miller has looked out of shape. Now, granted, he had I think um, mono. I want to say it was it was something that took him out or a bad respiratory infection or whatever the case may be um, that that kept him off court for like two or three weeks uh, over the last couple of weeks. So, uh, you know that that maybe that's an easily explainable thing. And it's not like the guy looked out of shape at any point in Alabama. So I, I wouldn't worry that he's going to be some fat, lazy bum, but yeah. Um, you know, it, it is interesting. Like again, or maybe you're him and you just don't want to go to Charlotte. So you don't try that hard. Like Larry Hughes talked on this pod about tanking a workout. Cause he really didn't want to go to a particular team. Yeah. Like guys do that shit. Yeah. It, uh, that could be. And it, I mean, it, it may, it just, you wonder, that, that to me is a plausible explanation, and but you it makes you wonder why his agent is even sending him on workouts right. if he's not in shape. If he's been sick, you know, say he's sick, you know, don't and, don't send him. And he supposedly worked out for like a dozen teams, and I think that was some effort to show he's like this like really you know nice young lad that uh, the gun thing is not really a thing. He'll work out for everybody because he's so humble, and it's like yeah. I'm obviously not going to hurt him too much like one workout, but. Yeah. Uh, if I were going to make the case for Brandon Miller above any of those guys, the SEC, very athletic league. He wasn't really bothered by the athleticism mm-hmm. and he was pretty productive. Also a guy that supposedly dealt with a lower body injury down the stretch there. So maybe that explains away some of the stuff. He got like noticeably better at things like finishing around the rim over the course of the season, which I, I think is is something worth noting. I, I, if guys are going to be bad at that stuff, you at least want to see them improve and, and like sort of work through it. But the context for Alabama is another interesting one here too. Like they they had a couple guards that were older, but chuckers and their younger guards, not maybe the best setup guys. And then he basically played the three on a college team next to um, Noah Clowney, who I, I think you're reasonably high on. But not like a great shooter. Um, and then Charles Bidiaco, who like literally can't shoot beyond five feet away from the basket. So um, I think that's a reasonable thing to account for when you're talking about like, well, he didn't get into the teeth of the defense as much as like, well, is there room to do that? Um, so you're a six foot nine guy being guarded by six foot five guys. So you've now got to beat them off the dribble and fit in between two other guys that aren't going to space the floor for you. It, it's to me, it's just not crazy where he gets into an NBA court and there's all this other room. And suddenly, you know, when he's one on one with people at the rim, he finishes better and, and also gets stronger, too. So like that yeah. kind of stuff just doesn't it doesn't worry me as much. Yeah. 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 He, so just looking at it, he he did shoot below 50 percent on twos yep. this season. And that could be a good explanation. And it could be why I end up over underrating, him. you know, or he could just be 
weak and not good and not have touch and, and none of those things translate. So again, even, even him yeah, as one a, of the better shooters, it, it's still risky. Yeah. Not a ton of steals or blocks either. So, yep. you know, it basically the, the markers I look at for athleticism, the stat markers, mm-hmm. he doesn't really score all that well on them, sure. but that doesn't necessarily mean because he's not a good, good enough athlete. Cause yeah. that's really what the issue is, is, is he good enough to mm-hmm. get there? And like you say, with more space, with more spacing, with uh, NBA concepts and with, you know, without some big oath clogging up the middle, you know, maybe he gets better. So just want to maybe have this discussion. Cause I think him versus scoot, uh, the Thompson's Cam Whitmore, Bilal, that are like these higher end athletes than he is. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting. Like I, I've kind of cared less about like raw athleticism over the last couple of years because I, I just think the way the NBA is, if you're skilled enough at this point and they can't touch you anyway, like it's yeah. okay. I mean, those guys being unreal athletes obviously is an advantage, but I'm also not dinging guys too much. Like to you, so the way you phrased it, I think is important. Like, is he a good enough athlete? And I definitely think. He's good enough to still put to use the real skills that he has. He's not some slow, unathletic dude that can't move. Yeah, it's. I, I agree. I think that athleticism gets overrated a lot in the sense of it is an advantage, but the the real the real game is about skill and really decision making. You know, yeah. like one of the reasons Jokic is is so tough is he's big and he's fairly agile for mm-hmm. somebody his size, but he's still slower than most NBA players. He sure. doesn't jump very much at all. Right. But what makes him so good is that he's so skilled. He, mm-hmm. he can make every shot. He can make every pass. Yeah. He sets screens. So, I mean, he's physical, he's strong. And those are, he's not a good run and jump athlete though. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't really seem to matter. He's the best basketball player on the planet. And that's really about skill and, and decision-making yep. more so than anything else. And I think some of these guys have a, like a way of making you play at their speed. Mm-hmm. So like if you, you know, you're more athletic than them, they don't care because they're just going to force you to do it. Like his cadence is so interesting because it's like, you know, he'll pump fake and it's the slow motion move and then he'll just shoot over you while your outstretched arm is there anyway. So again, I'm not saying any of these guys will turn into Jokic. I just think there's yeah. enough change well, in where the league is at now that that those kind of things matter. Yeah. And there's enough other examples of guys who are really good with like change of pace and that kind of stuff. Like Doncic is another guy. He's not yeah. necessarily an explosive athlete, but he's he can change speeds. Mm-hmm really well so he, you know he slows down he can change directions while moving jimmy butler's another guy like that he's not necessarily like the most explosive guy but he's strong and he does that jump stop ball fake thing and then sometimes he'll go and off everyone of still foot. bites on it <laughs> yeah and then he goes off of one foot and suddenly you're you know you're the defender's sitting there waiting for the jump stop and mm-hmm. he's laying the ball in the basket and it's like wait what, what just happened here you know so, you know, you can, it's like pitching in a sense where you establish a pattern, then you break the pattern mm-hmm. and it, it screws up the batters, you know, batters, batters swing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Easy with, for me to say, right. No, I think, I think it's a really good way to look at it. And, and just that that's like one of the cool things about the NBA right now. I think it's like, everybody's like, well, everybody just shoot threes and try to dunk. It's like, there are some really interesting guys right now that do things outside the norm. And I, I think that's 
I've always said I kind of like college basketball better and people think I'm an idiot because it's air quotes worse basketball, but there are different styles. And I think that's what I like most about the NBA is the teams I watch at League Pass are traditionally the ones that don't play exactly the same way or or their highest usage guy plays differently than mm-hmm. other people play. So. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely copycats in the league. Sure. There's lots of copycats in the league. Um, but there's also enough variety and there are all kinds of, um, you know, there's a strategic chess match that happens in the NBA that, that gets mm-hmm. really enjoyable where you see the different schemes, the different ways that teams come up with of, of attacking people. And there's certainly plenty of just like set screens until you get the matchup you want and then the guy goes one-on-one. There's plenty of that. But there's also a lot of uh, teamwork. And, you know, it, it is interesting. We'll probably see some more uh, copycatting based on the way Denver uh, played yep. with a little more ball movement, that kind of stuff. Now, nobody else has has Jokic, so that's the challenge. I was just going to say, I'm waiting for that next because the last couple drafts, it had been, well, who's this year's Draymond Green? Or, right. uh, th- this is this year's Kawhi Leonard. He's got big hands and he's six foot seven. So it's this year's Kawhi Leonard. I mean, we may have drafted one of them supposedly, but uh you know who going into this year's draft is this year's Jokic um are we Look, really projecting that Trace Jackson Davis is, is is gonna um suddenly be this magical playmaker I don't think so personally but um it'll be funny if we ever hear any of those a couple years down the road yeah fat Serbian kids are really happy right now <laughs> the draft stock just went through the roof if you're uh if you're a pudgy 18 year old playing uh playing in Lithuania somewhere yeah yeah uh, all right. So next to your guys here, uh, I'll give you my group here and then uh, I'll let you go and we'll just kind of alternate here a little bit. So I, I gave you my top four already here. The next year down for me, um, Anthony Black, Asor Thompson, Cam Whitmore, Bilal Kulbali, and I'm still holding out some hope for my boy Nick Smith Jr. That's my one that I can't even rationally defend, but I don't care. Yeah. So run the say the names one more time. Anthony Black, okay. Asor Thompson, Cam Whitmore, Bilal Koulibaly, Nick Smith Jr., Tier 3. And is Taylor Hendricks not in that? He is in the next group down. Okay. So my group is uh, Miller, who we've already discussed, Hendricks, Whitmore, Jairus Walker. And um, I don't have Anthony Mack in that. There's a pretty good step down okay. um, from those four that I just said. And so um, let's go Nick Smith first because, you know, this is – mine is obviously stat-driven. Sure. And Nick did not have a good statistical season. He was hurt. If you have no stats, it's pretty hard to do. Yeah. yeah. So I still have him 28 because mm-hmm. um, I think he, he's got good size, good athleticism. And obviously he sucked this year, yep. but he he was hurt. And so this is one of those, where, like I said, he's, he's 28th on my board. I could very easily see him going higher and being a really good, good pick in a mock draft what we're doing. Um, with Oz, I, yep. I picked him, uh, in the twenties, late twenties shocked me by the way, but yeah. good value pick. Yeah. It's what I figured is, you know, if, if picking that late, if he ends up being a five minute at a night right. scrub, who's out of the league in three years, doesn't okay. It, that's all right. But if he turns into an all-star, you know, you've really hit something. The, the only justification here. And, and like, let's just say you totally even ignore the bad college tape and you focus on just like EYBL only where he like torched dudes and all the people that covered that said like he was arguably the best guy there 
uh, you know, at, at like Peach Jam and things like that, where he just like cooked people and had all this burst that you didn't get to see at Arkansas. Uh, you still, to me, need him to be able to be an on-ball creator for others to justify that. If he is a six foot five, super skinny gunner only, I would put him where I put Keontae George. I just saw enough like high school playmaking to make me think he can be a facilitator in the way an SGA is a facilitator. Like he's not an old school point guard, but like he can he can draw enough attention and make the right reads to people. And occasionally he'll throw a couple special passes or two, but you still want him around a Giddy or a Jalen Williams or any of these other guys that are going to help do like, you know, secondary and tertiary playmaking. But if that doesn't pan out, this looks like a really stupid, uh, stupid call to still put him in the top 10. I, I just I just saw just enough there. I'm like, OK, I get it. And this isn't the Johnny Davis threw three really good passes you know, cross court bounce passes through traffic where he thread the needle perfectly. And now we're going to make him the point guard of the future. Like, I think he has real playmaking chops, whether or not he can do it in the NBA on a big enough volume, I think is is going to be the swing factor for him. Yeah. I, I really believe something that Mike D'Antoni said, which is that when you have the ball, everyone's a point guard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that I think that's a great way of saying that everybody should be looking both to score and playmate mm -hmm. for their teammate. Mm -hmm. And and if he can do that, then then yeah, he he could go up. There are plenty of guys who can't do both. Yeah, and there are some guys who sort of go into different modes. Sometimes they'll play make, and sometimes they'll look to score. Sure. And you know, the the best players are guys who can do either one. You know, yeah. on their way to scoring, they can realize that they're covered by three guys and find the open man. You know. Not everybody can do that, but if he can do just the basic, you know, drop off kind of passes, then, you know, that's enough. I, I see a world where he's a taller, probably less creative offensively, like Darius Garland type or like he can look to score, but even just the parallels from like, we didn't get to see much of them in college due to injury, but you saw just enough flashes and, and there was obviously enough high school stuff to go on there where like everyone was still intrigued. I think like if you get 75% of a taller Darius Garland, that's still an okay top 10 pick to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I would agree with that. I'm just not very confident that he's. Oh yeah. Agreed. It, it's, it's, it's a total gamble. And again, I, I'll be the first one to say, I look really stupid if none of it, of it works out. And this is all assuming that the knee stuff, which I, I haven't heard anything about from anybody um, about if there's any concerns there or whatever, like, I think I told people on the show like a month ago that the case and Wallace back stuff, people were still worried about it. And then he shut it down, um, shut down workouts after two. And people thought it was a promise. And it was like, well, no, the back is acting up again a little bit. So it's like no one has said Nick Smith is um, like the knee is a concern. But the fact that he just had like random knee, not random, but like lingering knee soreness throughout most of the year and looked like 10 years older and noticeably less athletic. That's mm -hmm. That's something like you have to really do your due diligence here. And and I think it's more if he doesn't work out, it's probably something related to that than like the actual game. Yeah, it does make you wonder about the severity of the injury, but also the the quality of the rehab. Yeah. Right. Did he really go after it in rehab? Did he have the right rehab, uh, you know, supervision, that kind of thing? And he that's, left that's the team issue. to go rehab in L.A. with his clutch sports team. 
and presumably an NBA agency, you would think, would be able to get him with the right people. But again, no one, no one really saw him. And I do give him credit for coming back and, and wanting to play out the college season and not just cutting bait to save draft stock. Like, I think that kind of stuff will matter to NBA teams, too. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. So uh, you have Taylor Hendricks and Jairus Walker in your next tier here. I had them in the literal next tier down only because I think to me, any of those guys in that last tier, there's a world where the best version of them makes an all-star team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see where how you get to the Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks all-star team, but they're safer to me. Like, I think everybody... Like I've been saying this for a while. Like I think power forward has sneaky become like the most important position in basketball. And I've always stressed like wings, wings, wings. We don't have any wings, but this switchable guy, can you guard ones potentially at least well enough? Like no one wants you to guard jaw exclusively, but can you switch onto them and not get cooked? And it allows, you know, you to go one through four for stuff. That's huge. And you're basically a big wing, but also a big, so like it's a valuable position. Um, I think they each just have kind of a noticeable enough hole that I couldn't get there with them, but they're they're literally like a tiny drop off for me. Yeah, yeah. I just I'd like both both guys, and I I will say one of the things I have the hardest time is like trying to figure out who's going to be all star level, who's yeah, not sure. that kind of stuff. I you know I I hear, and I'm not like picking on you or anybody. No, it's total speculation. But, uh, you know, I hear guys talk about high ceiling or, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm like, he's 19. Sure. You know, everybody is high ceiling when you're 19. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least it, not everybody, but you know what I'm saying is that the most when you're 19, you have so much ahead of you still. Yeah, that's that, fair. Um, 19, 20 years old. It's tough. I mean, it's a little easier when you're looking at like some of these like 23, 24 year old prospects. And it's like, you know they probably already done as much as they're improving, not that they can't continue to improve because obviously sure. you can, but at that point you're, you're, you're closer to the finished product than you will be at 19. And I think just to, to add some, some caveats to that too, for me, those guys that I can see making an all-star team above them, it's more just about the role that they'll get to play mm-hmm. uh, as a perimeter based guy. That'll have the ball presumably a lot of times. I, I think there's an easier like way for people to envision them as like, this is an all-star kind of guy. Whereas if you're like, you're Jairus Walker and you're the super dirty work for, it's really valuable and your team needs that for playoff success. But those kind of guys don't get like the same, same endorsements and shoe deals and things like that. Cause it's just not as yeah. like cool or sexy to watch. I, I don't know, but um, yeah. so no, it's, I hear you. it's less about like value and just about, you know, like, is the usage ever going to be there for them um, to kind of get those kind of accolades, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, so um, uh, I don't think we've talked about Cam Whitmore yet. No, we have not. So Cam's a good one. So he was in this next tier for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for anyone not familiar with Cam Whitmore at this point, I think most Wizards fans would happily take him at eight, just given what I've I've seen online. The dude scores the shit out of it. He's super athletic. He's going to be a line drive driver right away that people are going to have a hard time staying in front of. Were you at all worried by sort of the lack of him doing things for other people kind of stuff? Does, does that is that what dings him in the, the rankings here? Yeah, I mean, he's still eighth overall. So dinging sure, him, sure. 
<clears throat> but yes, he had twice as many turnovers as assists. Like there's a world where he probably goes four on draft night. So yeah. four to eight is is a pretty reasonable jump there. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to pick him in the top five, but yeah. at eight, if he was sitting there, depending on who else was there, I would certainly consider him. Um, but yeah, the, the twice as many turnovers as assists is a concern. Um, and you're talking about 1.1 assists per 40. I mean, not ideal. This is not a guy who is looking to pass the ball at all. Yeah. So that is a concern, but he's also 18. Yeah, <clears throat> and he won't be 19 on draft day. So, yep, no, that goes a long way too. And uh, I think again, weird team, weird fit, no point guard. Uh, so the fact that he scored for himself efficiently on a team where no one really created that many good looks for him, mm-hmm. I think says a lot. And, and maybe he even scales that up. And again, maybe in the NBA, if if you're a better scorer and you draw more attention, can he just make like very basic open passes to people? I don't know. It'd be hard to think that you've played basketball your whole life and can't do that around other great players. Whereas you're at like on a weird Villanova team that was shit by the time you actually played. Yeah. Not shit. I'm sorry for any Villanova fans listening, but underachieving. Let's do that. Uh, that maybe he was just like, all right, you know, they're they're throwing me the ball. They want me to like get to the hoop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> his usage was not particularly high. Right. You know, it was just it was kind of average. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh. But he shot the ball pretty well and not bad considering that he had no point guard. Right. And so it sort of suggests that when they gave him the ball, his job was to get the shots up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I I still like him well enough. My, the other concern that I guess I would have with him a little bit is is he didn't rebound very well for somebody as athletic as he, as he was. Sure. But he also had tons of steals and uh, shot 58% on twos. So, you know. He he does a lot of stuff well, which is why he's this side. He does this thing where like guys were trying to post him up, especially bigger guys. And some of these biggies teams, like he plays Xavier, they've got like two giant humans out there and uh, he'd be playing behind them. And then as soon as the like the entry pass went up, he would just like zip around them with this like a magic spin move or like swim move kind of thing and steal the ball and be off to the races. And it's like. Oh, well, I guess that's why he's not fronting people because he, mm-hmm. he can actually get around and in front of them. And mm-hmm. you have to have like good like awareness to be able to do that. I know you always talk about that with steals, but I think like I'm just thinking of the ways he got them specifically uh, was just like the timing was good and the understanding of the people around him. So I, I think that is maybe like, all right, he gets basketball, so he mm-hmm. probably will be able to get how to make open passes to people eventually yeah. too. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And again. 18 years old. Yep. Uh, let's spend a minute on Taylor Hendricks and Jairus Walker. I think mm-hmm. they've kind of gone back and forth a little bit. I think early in the year on the Bull Trevor message board, there was some Jairus Walker love. At some point, Taylor Hendricks overtook him. And I I kind of go back and forth between the two. I have Hendricks slightly higher for me in that next year, mostly because I, I think the day one shooting, I, I think, is something for him. Mm-hmm. And yeah the thing that puts that people like more about Jairus Walker is like he can do playmaking and stuff. And I said this two pods ago, I guess at this point, like how often do people really let their power forward create for other people? So um, he's this, he's this year's mini Draymond. So like someone will throw one of those kinds of things out. And and I just don't. um, And and by the way, it's more 
he has playmaking from the high school level that we didn't get to see at Houston. Okay. So if you don't see that in the numbers, that's sort of the argument is that no, 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 he did so much more. We just Houston didn't allow him to do it. And they also had no shooting. Like other than Marcus Sasser, he might have been their next best shooter. Yeah. And he wasn't a great shooter. So no. No, not a great shooter. Uh, I have them in the same order. I have mm-hmm. uh, Hendricks over. I mean, it's close, but sure. I, I have Hendricks ahead of him. Um, with Walker, I definitely don't see really the playmaking there. Just 2.6 assists per 40. That's, I mean, that's okay, Fine. but yeah. it's not anything special. It's not Magic and Johnson I, coming, you know, like it's, it's yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And he, he, you know, his shooting, it's all right. Uh, big, big things I liked with him was one, the offensive rebounding 3.3 mm-hmm. rebounds per 40. That's pretty good. And then also good numbers of steals and blocks, you know, he, yep. he defends. So I think that's a good thing. And then with Hendricks, I, I do very much like the shooting, the 39% on threes, um, 78% on the, from the free throw line. And, you know, enough production elsewhere that, you know, again, he blocked two shots for 40. That's pretty good for a, for a forward. So, yep. you know, I, I think that the, those are both good-looking pro prospects. And, you know, I, I think that they can both – they'll both end up being, you know, good, good NBA players. I saw something where people were knocking on Hendricks for like, well, his non-dunk finishing around the rim was like really poor. And when he had to shoot, it was a non-dunk, non-layup finishing. I'm like, I don't want my six foot nine guy shooting floaters. Like, I'm I'm really sorry. Or jump hooks, like just dunk everything you possibly can. And I I think he'll be just fine at doing that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair, but I think that's fair for both of them. I mean, right. so Hendricks was 53% on twos and... um, Walker was what 51%. So, you know, but that's both both on the low side, but mm-hmm. I mean you want them over 50, you want them for forwards even higher than that. But they both do enough other things well that I think it's okay. And like you say, I mean, generally speaking, I don't want anybody shooting floaters with the exception of maybe again going back to Jokic, right? Yeah, there's a couple of people that have unreal touch. The the 19-foot LaMelo floater, I can somehow live with if enough of them go in, but um yeah, yeah. for the most yeah. part, no thanks. Yeah, I like I never want to see Victor Wembanyama shooting please um, no floaters from three point range like he yeah. did in, uh, in Yeah, the- right. And unless he's throwing himself a lob, then more power to you at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh there are plenty of mock drafts uh that have both of those guys going in the top eight, realistically. I would say consensus top eight. I just personally wouldn't feel good about that outcome for the Wizards. Uh it's just it's not a knock on them. I think their greatest value, it's not that they wouldn't be good on a rebuilding team. They'd still be good. But I think the way you maximize both of their skill sets is on a team trying to make a playoff push. And realistically, if this was still Tommy Shepard and they were taking last year's core and trying to make a playoff run, I wouldn't have hated either of these picks as much because they're both good guys and you can use like any team at any level could value from their skill set. It's just like that would be the way to best maximize them. And they would also have filled a need, I think, um, kind of complementing Porzingis pretty well. Walker yeah. probably more so than Hendricks, but still that I think they both would. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's going to be some more dynamic and, you know, potentially great players that uh, will be available for the Wizards in that spot. Honestly, I I hope someone loves them at six and seven, and then then we've got our pick of dudes at that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
Let's see. All right. So next tier down, I just did that round. Why don't you uh, why don't you give us your next tier here? Uh, well, my next tier is um, Anthony Black, Jason yeah. Wallace, Leonard Miller, and uh, Noah Clowney. Uh, okay. Let me let me make some mental sense of this here real quick. Anthony yeah. Black, Kaysen Wallace, Leonard Miller, Noah Clowney. Yeah. Okay. So interesting group of guys here. Um, so let's say just Anthony Black here for a minute. Just if he shoots 35% this year from three, does that markedly change where he ends up on Yoda? Uh, like, does that make him a top seven guy? Well... I can I could actually run the numbers. I don't it. need you to do it in real time. I'm just sort of asking, like, do you think that would have made a big enough impact for him to have? Um, it probably would have pushed him into that tier above, which okay. would have been that seven through nine sure. tier. Uh, excuse me, like six through nine. So yeah, he he could have popped up there if he had shot it better. Um, the thing with Anthony Black, um, so the shooting is one issue. I, I did like his finishing. He, he mm-hmm. you know for guard going over fifty percent on twos is pretty yep. good. Um, the, the play, the assist to turnover ratio being one to one, basically. Yeah, that's not so good. Well, it's a little better than that, but not by a lot. You know, yeah. it's, it's you know, I, I kept hearing like it's great court vision, and I've got to be in it. Like I heard a lot about him before mm-hmm. I started running the numbers, and sure. I really expected to see like you know eight nine assists per forty, and I see four and a half, yeah. and and then I see that, but the turnovers are high, like he's averaging eight nine assists per forty, mm-hmm. and um, so. I would say that's a, a little bit of a concern that he's supposed to be a playmaker and it's not showing really in the numbers. And um, now that said, there's other stuff that I do like, which is again, why he's this high, you know, like he, the 2.4 steals per 40, that's good. The, the He had seven tenths of a block per 40, which is again, good for a guard. You know, he's got good size and stuff. And, but with the shooting, the, the low playmaking numbers, the high turnovers, th- that's all sort of pushed him out of the top. Top tier. I've kind of given this same thing for a lot of these guys with like the team context. And people have heard me say this about Black specifically. They had no shooting and things like that. But just for him in general, I don't know. I don't know how this was for you, Kevin. But like for me growing up trying to be a guard playing, I remember a coach early on saying like, if you throw a pass and someone doesn't catch it, it's your fault, right? Like it's, you know, any pass you throw, if it's to a guy that you know is probably not going to catch it, it doesn't matter how good of a pass you threw. If if that, you know, intended recipient is not the kind of guy that can catch that kind of pass, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. And I think about that a little bit with Anthony Black because he would throw some passes to like Makai Mitchell, who has like rocks for hands. And he would like bullet pass him like in traffic and it would like bounce off the guy's hands, hit him in the face and go out of bounds. And it's like, okay, yeah, I can justify that in the NBA, hopefully whatever big he plays next to is going to catch that. But it's that same thing of like, you got to rein it in a little bit. So like maybe the flashy, let me show you, I could like fit it through their pass. Isn't the best idea. And I'm not saying that's like a basketball IQ thing so much as just like a, Somebody on a coaching staff needs to like, you know, like give them like a stern talking to when they see that the third time in a row. So what this reminds me of, what that makes me think of is when I took my daughter to driver's ed and they Mm -hmm. did this whole thing and they did this explanation of what teenagers think is good driving versus what parents think Uh is good driving, right? And so the teenagers think 
good driving is skilled driving. And that yeah. means if you can go 70 miles an hour and put your car between that space, that's like two inches bigger than the width of the car, that's skilled driving. Yeah. Parents think that skilled driving is you stop when mm-hmm. you see that kind of a, that kind of a narrow passageway yeah. and you don't attempt to go through it. Right. So it's a, it's a difference. And so he's 19, right. And so there's some forgiveness, but you know, as I evaluate, I still, Mm-hmm. I use the numbers and uh, they, they are what they are, but uh, he's, like I say, I think he's got a, he's got a real chance to become a really good pro. Like you say, you know, the highlights I saw of him, he does, he is a creative passer. He seems to have a really good court vision and um, the right coach, the right coaching staff might be able to really harness that. I, I think I kind of made less of the assist to turnover ratio that everybody in the wizards organization, like hyped about Monte Morris, right? It was like, you know, he did so great. And I think assists are overly inflated in the NBA right now. And the low turnovers is a product of like never pushing the issue. And sometimes you want to push the issue. That being said, I think Anthony Black spending a year with Monte Morris to like learn from might not like be the worst thing in the world for him. Like maybe you can meet somewhere in the middle. Uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, I, I think a lot of that stuff you can explain away. I actually buy the shooting. The more I watch him, like, the kinds of shots he made at Arkansas are the kinds of ones NBA teams are going to want him to take. Hmm. And and some of the like one foot pull up threes at the end of the shot clock. Not I'm not saying they're all grenades, but just some of them are just like, I don't know what to do here. And we have no yeah. space and no flow. I'm on a chuck it. Mm-hmm. An NBA team would just yank you as a rookie yeah. point guard. So he's going to take two threes a game and make 35 percent of them. And that's good enough that if people go under, can you make them pay? Yeah, I think. yeah, that's the that's the key, you know. Can you make them pay just by shooting league average? Yeah, yeah, yeah. agreed. Uh, all right, the only other person I had in this sort of next tier of guys is Maxwell Lewis, who appears nowhere on the Yoda big board, um, and and he's one I just want to spend a couple minutes on before we get back to to your tier here real quick. Okay, so for me, this is a six foot seven guy who's super athletic can actually handle the ball as like a very projectable jump shot and has all the tools to be like a good defender in the NBA. Like there's no nothing holding him back physically from doing that. And for me, I watch Trey Murphy at UVA. And and again, I'm not saying they're anywhere near the same player, but just for me, from an eval standpoint, I'm like, Trey Murphy is doing nothing for, for either Rice or UVA other than shoot threes. And he's six foot nine and he never gets to the rim. He rarely gets the dunk it. And he wasn't even that good defensively at a place where they pride themselves on teaching you to play good defense. And and Lewis played on a team at Pepperdine that gave literally no shits about holding them accountable in any way, shape, or form. There's multiple future pros on that team. And it just like looked like let's roll the ball out and let this guy cook. And for anybody not familiar, he played at that Chameleon BX training facility where uh, Marjan Beauchamp played Kyrie Walker that was with the Go-Go last year. And it was run by this guy, Frank Mastriano. That was Gilbert Arenas' trainer. Remember when he went to go train for the Navy SEAL with the Navy SEAL? It turned his career around after the missed free throws against Cleveland. So he ran this training program for guys to get ready to be NBA players. And then COVID happened. And they had nobody to play against. They were like kicked out of their gym in San Francisco. 
And all these guys lost a year. And Lewis went to Pepperdine last year, didn't do a ton. And this year looked a lot better, but he just strikes me as a guy like the tools are all there. He just needs someone to like beat him over the head about how to play good basketball. And if someone coaches him well, I feel like this is a guy that just ends up a real steal or he's a knucklehead and has no idea how to play and you'll never teach him. He could be Nick Young. I, I don't know, yeah. but um, I would take a gamble here at the tail end of the lottery for me. Yeah. So by the numbers, his numbers are are like, okay. They're not particularly great. And and he didn't, obviously Pepperdine wasn't very good. The competition wasn't super strong and the shooting was, was decent. Like his free throw shooting 79% almost. That's pretty good. Only 35% on threes, which isn't great. Didn't rebound a ton. He, the 3.6 assists look nice for 40, but 4.2 turnovers, yeah. you know? So, and, and also kind of elevated fouls too, which mm-hmm. isn't necessarily a good sign. Not, there's, there's like no discipline to how he plays basketball whatsoever. And if anybody was like an old school coach, they would have like a heart attack and fall over and die, which is weird because Lorenzo Romar is an old school coach. So I don't, I don't I can't explain that. Yeah. I don't know. So I, I mean, I have him like rated in the sixties. Okay. So, um, but I will say, you know, the, the mock drafts and stuff have him much higher generally like in the late first. Yeah. And so I'm entirely prepared to think that I'm wrong. But um, oh, same here. I think he'll probably end up being a guy worthy of a late 20s pick. And and we can both say we were wrong in, in one direction or the other here. I, it, it's just I'm looking at him like the cardboard cutout of that kind of person and mm-hmm. less about him specifically. Those are the kinds of guys I would want. And hopefully yeah. he can learn how to do basketball. I mean, I could see somebody of that profile, like being right. a, a, a scorer off the bench, for example, you know, sure. where he, his job is basically to come in and get shots up and you know, try to carry the second unit for, you know, 15, 18 minutes a game. I can see that if he can, you know, harness his his game into the team concept a little bit. I think there's going to be some, some like very frustrating minutes for whichever NBA coach gets him. Um, All right. So the rest of your tier here, uh, we've got Case and Wallace and this has been like the hardest one for me because I, I like the idea of just like a hard-nosed defensive guard that's immediately like an elite point of attack defender for somebody. Mm-hmm. I, I just kind of don't buy the shooting personally. And I had heard some stuff from people that cover that team that like he shot better in games than he shot in practice to the point where people were actually kind of surprised by the shots he was making. And similarly, like no one thought he would be that good of a shooter coming out of high school and things like EYBL, he was not as good. So I'm, I don't know, but they also said in the high school ranks, and I did not take the time to go back and and really find this out for myself, but he showed a lot more playmaking at that level than, than he really did this year. And again, he was next to severe Wheeler. It's just, I personally didn't see enough to project him as like a full-time creator and I, I know that's hypocritical given I just said I'm I'm willing to take it off of Nick Smith's flashes from high school, but it's just, you know, some of this is kind of feel on, on my end. So to me, if he's not like a creator for others enough to be on ball, um he's he becomes a, a six foot four. Granted he is six foot like I got the six foot nine wingspan, but he's yeah. like He's just a defensive-minded two who hits open shots. Is he is he better Avery Bradley? And do you want that in in the lottery? I think that's sort of where I'm at. I think. 
Yeah. So I, I really like the defense. I bought the defense. Yeah, I agreed. I, I have no question marks about the defense. And there's an, to me, I, I mean, there's five over five uh, assists per 40 mm-hmm. and um, you know, a two to one assist to turnover ratio. So he's got something there. Yeah. The shooting is iffy. And so, you know, he did shoot almost 76% from the free throw line, mm-hmm. but only 34% on threes. And so it's iffy. I, I'm, I think I'm also maybe giving him a little benefit of the doubt because he's one of those Kentucky guards and, um, you know, Kentucky guards seem to do better in the pros than they do playing for Calipari, which is kind of weird when you mm-hmm. think about it. You think he just let them cook and, and do their thing and. Yeah, he's got this dribble drive motion offense that yeah. he likes to play, and and somehow or another, his guards all play better when they get to the pros. Yeah. So I, I think maybe certain skill sets again benefit from pace and space and all that kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. uh, not playing next to three other guards who also think they're future NBA players might might help mm-hmm. there too. So um, I'll probably admit I, you know, that I'm I'm wrong about him. Uh, just, I mean, I'm saying I'm I'm wrong. I have him 16. I'm not like shitting on him as a player. It's just there are people that I think could very justifiably say they would like him with the eighth pick. I'm just not there. If someone takes him like just outside of the lottery, I'll never give them grief for it. I just that's yeah. sort of not, not where yeah, I was personally. I, I think he's like a late lottery pick. Sure, but you know, like you said, if you, if you've got him 16, you're basically saying it's the same like kind of thing. Pick. Yeah, if someone takes him at 14. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I think um, that was just the difference for me between like wanting him at, at something like eight, right? Like yeah. if he's not like a real, real creator for others and he can't really shoot it, I, I still think there's value in like a, a long defensive minded guard that can hit spot up threes. So, yeah. Yeah. And um, he's, I, I mean, he, I, we've talked about it all with a lot of these guys, but obviously shooting is a swing skill. Yeah. So if he can become, you know, a 38% three-point shooter in the pros, then I think he he really unlocks a lot of value because he will get up in people's real and defense. So, and he's think, disruptive. 2.4 steals per 40. Is yeah. He, I watched, I want to say the Georgia game, maybe he had nine steals and he didn't even play like that much of the game. And it's just like, at yeah. some point, I think people were like throwing the ball into his hands because they were just like so frazzled by how to get the ball around him. and. Yeah. When you can see you've made guys like stop and think before they do things around you, like that says something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Leonard Miller is so interesting to me, and I just don't know what to do with him. And again, not the same player. Uh, I'm, I hope people, when I say a person's name in context with another, are not saying I mean literal comp. But to me, it's a, it's a similar eval problem I had with Tari Eason last year. Like extremely productive from a like let's rack up stats perspective but when you watch them sometimes it's like are we sure this guy knows how to play basketball and the positive of that is if he can do all this shit without knowing how to play basketball imagine what will happen if we ever teach him how to play if he has a real feel for the game Mm -hmm. um the downside of that is what if we never teach him how to play like meaningful basketball and and miller is like one i just really struggle with we talked about this before and and you mentioned one of one of the things you posted too about like he did have like a lot of like garbage time production and it's like 
is he going to grab coast to coast rebounds in the NBA that frequently and get like from one basket to the other, mostly untouched in the NBA level? I don't know. I don't think he can shoot it personally. It's like a weird, flat, slingshotty kind of shot. Um, and I don't know. So I, he's just a really interesting one. Like I had him 11 originally. And then I watch more Ignite games and I'm just like, I just kind of don't like watching him play. Mm-hmm. But like Tar Eason came out and was hyper productive right away. And I think that sort of varying degrees of carried out, you know, like it, it was a mixed bag throughout the year and that didn't really lead to them winning anything, but they also didn't win anything, want to win anything. So, um, yeah, I'm just sort of lost on, on Leonard Miller. So, so help me make sense <laughs> of Leonard Miller, please. Right. Um, I'm not sure I can help you make sense of him because I have some of the same kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, like what position is he actually mm-hmm. seems like probably he'll start as a forward. I think though, that he could end up being a center because you know, he's, he's got good, good size. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's still quite young and he was very efficient yep. at the G G league level. You know, he was scoots teammate mm-hmm. and it's like, like you say, the production is there and it's just a, it's a question of whether and how much that translates because, you know, big, big men don't always translate to the, um, to the NBA from the G league. So um, this is a guy I've got him in this next group, but I mean, I, I say readily that I don't have a ton of confidence that I have that exactly right. You know? So um, that said, you know, in the late lottery, I think I'd be willing to take a shot on him, you know. If if Oklahoma City takes him at 12, I got like I have no bones about it. They're the right kind of team to do that for me. You've got so many picks, you can afford to do it. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is a guy that had kind of a weird last year. Last, you know, last year's season was kind of weird for him playing in like a weird high school setting and all of a sudden you're playing grown men and you're still like doing numbers like that's that's pretty cool. Um the positional thing is really interesting to me. He's a four or five. That's like, Hey, that's great. You've got a really mobile five. So if he's big enough to guard those guys, that's where he creates an advantage because he can, he's quick enough to get by a bigger dude. He handles the ball really well. If you're projecting him like, well, maybe someday he's a three. I don't think he'll ever shoot it well enough. I, I think it's it's similar to that Denny thing where like I don't think he'll ever really be quick enough to get by or tight enough handle to get by threes and the shooting's not there. So it's it's a tougher, tougher ask. But could he be switchable onto some threes and be adequate defensively there? I think that's that's pretty important. Right. Yeah. I I don't know. I I don't really see him as a three. I I see him more as a um as a four or five. I agree. You know, I, I just don't see him getting to that to that um, three four. I think that's what NBA teams are hoping he can do. At least give them the option to put him there. And I'm I'm just kind of I didn't see that personally. But again, guys get better, and he's still young. So who knows? He is definitely young, nineteen. So yeah. you know, it, he could have gone in last see. year's draft, and he's still young. Like it's yeah. Uh, I I like him. Like I say, I like him as a prospect. I be willing to take a shot on him with a late late lottery pick or you know later first round pick because I think most of the mocks have him going in the like 20s yeah. range so I, I think he's better than that but if he if I mean it's the kind of thing where if like you could buy a the 21st pick and take him mm-hmm. yeah I'd, I'd, be, I'd be cool with that if you're the wizard and you end up at 23 or whoever 
fine. Give it a go, especially right. if you're going to rebuild and like just give him a couple years to figure it out. And yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, yeah. Noah Clowney. I can't get there with Noah Clowney. I have him 30. <laughs> you have him 14. That's probably the person we have the biggest difference on. Uh, okay. What, well, we got to fight. <laughs> uh, we're just going to just brawl in the middle yeah. of this, folks. But uh, both Kevin and I just rolled up our sleeves if you're not watching this on video right now. Yes. Um, we're only 2,000 miles apart. So this is going to be a really yeah. violent fight. Yeah. Um, so let me is let he, me start with what he, I like about it. Yeah, well, exactly. What what does he do well from a Yoda perspective? Like what so stands out in a good way? One, like the efficiency, two point finishing, sixty seven percent on twos, which sure. was excellent. Shot the ball like crap from three, only twenty eight percent. His free throw shooting, eh, um, rebounded a ton. Mm -hmm. you know, Twelve and a half rebounds, three point three offensive rebounds per forty. That's all good. Um, that's really kind of about it. He's a good rebounder. He he plays some defense. He's he, I think he brings a little toughness and he finishes well inside, you know. And so I think that all of that combined is uh is pretty good. I realize I'm probably higher on him than most. Um I also think that, you know, he's got enough size, at least height that he could end up being a center in the NBA, especially if he, you know, puts on 15-20 pounds of muscle which you know, he's 18 years old. I think that's pretty likely. Yeah, agreed. You know, yeah, he, he, I, he, I, I think that's part of it too, was the 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 finishing and the rebounding at 18, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the SEC is is good. He's a really good athlete, uh, like pogo stick kind of jumper and a guy with like second jump ability, which I think is like a super underrated thing for, for that kind of guy. And he'll get you like garbage baskets right away from just being able to like out quick somebody off the ground. Mm -hmm. but thin so like that is a that is going to be a question for him like if he were a little taller and thin it's probably easier to say this guy is a five um the shot looks okay i think like I i'm not I'm not suggesting he'll be like um i don't know dark Nowitzki level shooter at that size at some point but uh I, I think if he were just like a capable floor spacer that that wouldn't shock me a whole lot i, I think this is like an archaic view on basketball and i realize that but i see him as like a little bit of a tweener in a bad way um and, and that's kind of maybe why i can't get there uh so I don't when know, you're saying you see him as a tweener like between like i think he needs to be a five and i don't know that he can be um see i i'd look at that and i'm like i see the weight and i know that the skinniness is an issue but i'm also looking at it like that he's 18. Sure. And, um, you know, it's not unusual for 18 year olds to be, to be thin. If, if and, he puts on 20 pounds, I still don't think he's big enough to guard most NBA's NBA centers at like a starting level. Like, I still think that makes him smaller than Daniel Gafford. Uh, um, yeah, probably similar size, uh, you know, but uh, it, we'll see, you know, we'll see. I'm, I'm not shitting on the back. I'm just, it's just why yeah. I haven't personally been able to get there again. I still have him in the first round. And if, I have him in a tier of guys from 19 to 30. So if someone yeah. wanted to take him at 19, I don't have any heartburn. And I will that. say, like, just like a few of the other cautions, like only one and a half blocks, which mm -hmm. sort of undercuts the idea that he's really playing. Although the, some of that's role dependent. Uh, and I think that's the other thing here I was going to go with. The, the plus side is I mentioned that context for Brandon Miller. It's the same thing for Clowney that I think you can easily make a case for. Like he played next to Charles Bidiaco, who had to just be like attached to the rim at all times if they'd have played small and let Clowney be like the super rim running center for them 
you know, and in a faster paced offense, I think he's the kind of guy who could do that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's see where we, uh, we end up next here. Any other guys you want to spend some time on? Maybe we just rattle through your next tier here. Cause I think I have mostly the same tier and just sort of a different order yeah. so let's let's close out with the guys you've got maybe the the next kind of tier ish here yeah so the next tier for me would be uh grady dick colby jones and brandon podjemski podjemski uh, yeah podjemski yeah and um then yeah kind of like more or less sort of mangled in there would be like chris murray bryce sensabaugh maybe jordan hawkins mm-hmm. and then if we're gonna like really stretch i get to like Trace Jackson Davis and, and Jaime Bast- uh, Jack West. Um, you so know, in, that, in that general. I think the Grady Dick case is pretty straightforward, right? He's just yeah. going to come in and just shoot the shit out of it for you. And he was an okay defender. He rebounds yeah. like a little bit. Um, a little. He's, he's a, little, a little bit, but kind of Corey Kispert. I hate the, 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 the white guy to white guy comp, but yeah. that's who he reminds me of. Yep. Just, Great shooter. Yeah. That, that's the role somebody's going to project for him is just come in, space the floor. And if you do smarter, other stuff for us, great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Colby Jones, I think you and I are both higher on. I've got him in this same um, 13 to 18 tier for me. Just like good at everything, kind of, to some extent. Like he's not really bad anywhere. The free throw shooting is like maybe the one thing you could point to, but the shot looks really clean. He made a bunch of threes. Like I'm not too worried about that. Yeah. And I love his playmaking too. I mean, 5.2 assists. I mean, we're talking like point guard number Mm -hmm. assists and not many turnovers. So this is to me, like, I don't know why he's in the thirties, you know, in, in the mock drafts, I'd love to see him, you know, with the team that will let him do some playmaking, let him handle the ball and try some stuff. Uh, same network plug for the field of 68 guys, Terrence Oglesby, one of their, um, analysts that, uh, played at Clemson before the season was like, I don't know why everyone likes this Colby Jones. He doesn't do anything well. And at the end of this year, he was like, all right, I got to eat some crow. He does everything well. (laughs) Like, um, I think there was a real jump there from those first two years of like, all right, he showed like a little bit of everything, Mm -hmm. but, but this year he got kind of noticeably better across the board and it was on a much better coach Xavier team like Travis Steele who they had before they super underachieved mm-hmm. and then you add in Sean Miller this year who was just like a creative coach uh and and he played next to just a better scoring point guard point guard in Sule Boom so it's like okay like you can create a little you can score a little you'll take the toughest defensive assignment mm-hmm. you've got two bigs behind you to kind of anchor you so you can gamble a little on D and just get up in people I think like it was like a perfect context for him. And I think everything he did in college, I could see him doing on an NBA court. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like him. I think he's, you know, he, he's going to be a good pro. Just Pajemski. I think we, we both like here kind of more than the average person as well. And maybe he's getting the new Santa Clara bump, but um, Herb Sendek knows how to pick out guys that can play, you know, certain roles in the NBA and like not a crazy athlete, like shoots a shit out of it. He led the conference in rebounding, um, which is just wild as shit for a guy that's like six foot four. So right. I it's I look at his numbers. I mean, well, they his official measurement is like six five, but okay. still that's I mean 44% on threes, mm-hmm. right? And like you said, led the conference 9.7 rebounds per 40. 
Yeah. Also 4.1 assists. I mean, so he, he's a terrific shooter and he's a gunner, but he also did some playmaking. He hit the boards. Mm-hmm. I, I like this guy and he's not an overwhelming athlete, but you know, I think he can play in the NBA. If you're like good enough physically to rebound like that, I don't buy that you're just going to get like bully balled by NBA players anyway. Like he'll probably never be a great defensive player, but if you can come in and be like a sixth man scorer, playmaker, facilitator and be scrappy enough defensively and stuff like that. Like I, I I mentioned this on two pods ago with Bryce Simon when we had him on, but I think some of these teams will look and he's not old by any stretch, but, but these guys that like, like him that put up big numbers, like he Colby Jones, like these kind of guys that are 20 years old, Maybe you see a Christian Brown and a team that's in the playoffs is like, oh, shit, like I could get cheap production for him under this new CBA and he can play right away. Like these aren't guys, I think, that need a second contract before they produce or anything like that. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's right. And yeah, I don't know. He's very intri- intriguing. Play. This is what this is the kind of guy I would love to, like, you know, snap up another pick and just, mm-hmm. just get him like maybe three spots too early, quote unquote. Yep. And then you just sort of are happy with him for a while. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, You led single-handedly, I think, for a while, and then some people caught on later in the year, the Keegan Murray bandwagon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris Murray, why why lower? Like, what's the, what's sort of the differentiator here? Just not as good a shooter? And that's, is that the biggest difference? He's just not quite as good as his brother, I think. He's also a year older, which doesn't um, help their twin brothers. You know, that doesn't help much. But I will say, he still is a good prospect. You know, fifty-eight percent on threes, only thirty-three point five percent on 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 threes. I said fifty-eight point three percent on twos. Mm-hmm. And um, free throw shooting wasn't great, but he did rebound. Uh, you know, a little bit of defensive stuff. You know, steal his stocks, steals, and blocks were okay. And um, you know, I think he's probably going to make a nice nice pro. It would be kind of funny to see him because he seems like he's sort of sliding into that range where Sacramento could could end up picking him. Yeah. So uh, the next person you got here is Bryce Sensabaugh, and this is he and Leonard Miller, and I'll be honest, Kobe Bufkin are, are probably like my tougher evals of this whole year because he makes a lot of shots. He takes a lot of really tough, bad ones. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just because Ohio State was a shit show and he kind of just like, they were just like, here, do offense things. Um or what the deal was, but it's just, I think he's like a really good shooter from day one. He didn't guard anybody. Um, he looked kind of lost. He threw the ball away a good amount, in my opinion. So it's like, like what's the role for him on an NBA team? Like, is he bigger Jaden Hardy where it just like come in and or cam Thomas and just like cook and get out. We'll get out of your way, but like we can never start you in a playoff series. I, I just sort of, I don't know what to make of him, I guess. Yeah, well, everything you said shows up in the numbers. He can he can really shoot, you know, f- over 40% from three, 83% from the free throw line. He rebounded a little bit, but there's no playmaking. There's lots of turnovers. There's like no defense whatsoever. There's no steals or blocks really to speak of. And so it seems like what he's going to come in and do is shoot, and that'll be his first rule. And then mm-hmm. he's got to learn how to defend, you know, in the at, at the NBA level or he won't play. You know, because you, you if you can't defend, if they're just going to pick on you, you can't you can't really play. And so the the bright side for him 
is where he's likely to get picked, yep. he's probably going to end up with a better team. That hopefully simple role for for him for for those teams probably yeah and maybe somebody can 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 you know give him better training better structure right. around player development and te- you know do better te- better job of teaching him how to defend mm-hmm. which uh, would be good and th- there could also be an effort level there defensively you know there's a few other players where effort was an issue um, that I, I don't know necessarily I think a lot of his effort went into the offensive end agreed so. And they were a mess. Like they fell apart after a good start. And I think people kind of quit, to be honest, yeah. to some extent. So it doesn't yeah. surprise me either. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to rattle off a couple of years here just to get us to one or two I want to close with real quick. So yeah, you got yeah, Jordan yeah. Hawkins, mm-hmm. um, probably the best movement shooter in the draft. No arguments there. I have him in the yeah. exact same range. Trace yeah. Jackson Davis, insanely productive, kind of yeah. a back to the basket old school guy, but put up big numbers. He'll go in this range, no argument. Ton of assists, ton of assists for him, which is a good sign for him defensively, and a lot of blocks too. And that was sort of a, a later thing in his career, I think, too, which is which is good. Like an NBA, you know, caliber coach came in and, and like either motivated him to do that or taught him how to, you know, improve those parts of his game. But he he got better in areas that he was deficient at, which I think is also a good sign. Yeah, uh, Jaime Hawkes, who I love, I'm all good. I took him in a mock draft we're, we're doing with Oz uh, at 19 to the heat. And I just feel like that's the kind of team that will just yeah, like make him Kim, I don't know, Caleb Martin with better defense or something like that. Uh, yeah. There's Martin. another guy who shows up later on, on in Yoda that I think is like going to show up on the heat in like two years and be one of their undrafted free agents that helps them get to the finals again. You know, that kind of thing. That's Ed Crosswell from Providence. Mm. Yep. No, it's a like, it's a lesser name. He also worked out for the Wizards, so maybe we could be those people. Yeah. Um, Marcus Sasser, who I love, I have him in kind of the same sort of range here. You have him 22. The two I want to talk about here before we close are Jalen Clark and Julian Phillips, because they're just kind of interesting guys, I think. And um, mm-hmm. the Wizards need defense, especially on the perimeter, I think. Jalen Clark was like an elite defender. Um, and just watching him in person, it was like, holy shit, people are kind of afraid to dribble in front of him. And that says something. He he yeah. looks a little kind of lost on offense for them, but he is coming off an Achilles tear. So he may not even play this first season. I don't know that that's the worst thing for him. It's just like learn, feel for the game and watch film and mm-hmm. it'll be great. So he'll probably go a lot later than this just because of, you know, will he look slower post Achilles and things like that. But yeah. Um, he's another guy that like he could make a team look really smart because he can come in and does he just do enough of the defensive things you got for case and Wallace, like much later in the draft would be, would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, 3.4 steals per 40. This is just outrageous. I mean, he, he's a real ball hawk and that's, that's pretty valuable. The the torn Achilles is, is a concern, um, but he is also just 21. So, you know, the, the healing and overall the recovery, from uh, Achilles tears has been better agreed recently for for a lot of guys so so could he be a slightly less ball handler ball handlery um Delon Wright for somebody like that's still valuable I think yeah yeah and then Julian Phillips is like really interesting and a guy I think I've come around on just hearing more and more stuff and um he's super athletic he was by all accounts a very good shooter in high school and AAU and things like that shot well from the free throw line, just couldn't hit threes. He also was like crazy frustrated that they wouldn't play him above a bunch of old men. 
mm. on um like that wouldn't be NBA guys. So it sort of just showed, I, I think, you know, from from the way he looked out there. And he's by all accounts been like torching the nets in these workouts. So uh he's he's a guy I think if someone took him at 24 where you have him, despite him showing up lower on consensus boards, it wouldn't surprise me because someone might just be like, nope, instant three and D, he's a steal. Yeah, he's he is a terrific athlete, number one. And the minutes thing is interesting because of my top, but 24, he's lowest in minutes. You know, he only, he only played 24 minutes a game, which is pretty amazing. And, um, you know, his, his two point percentage wasn't great. Only about 47%. And his, his three point shooting was awful. Just 24%, but 82% from the free throw line. And, Mm -hmm. um, he does enough other stuff that makes you think with the athleticism, get him into the right thing. He kind of, his profile in some ways reminds me a little bit of Jalen Brown. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the terrific athlete, Jalen Brown was not productive at all in college. Um, I had him rated way down the list. I did not have him as a lottery pick at all. And also both on horrendous, horrendous shooting teams. Like the SEC yeah. teams couldn't shoot at all this year and Tennessee might've been the worst. Yeah. So it, that's who he kind of reminds me of a little bit in terms of profile. And obviously Jalen Brown has turned into a, a very good pro. So maybe, maybe Julian goes on that same path. I like that. Uh, last name I have for you is not someone who appears on your first round here. And I'm just going to shamelessly say, I told a bunch of people this on the side, uh, like a couple weeks ago that I was hearing Kobe Bufkin was going to go lottery and then like the Jonathan Gavoni tweet this week was like, he could go in the top 10. Uh, don't be surprised. Uh, it, you know, you have him much lower. I have him all down a late first round ish. If someone wants to take him somewhere between 19 and 30, I don't really care. I, I just wasn't that I didn't get the tingles from him, Kevin. Like I, I didn't watch him and think like, oh, OK, like this is exciting to me. Not enough to take him in the lottery. It's kind of I can't get there. Yeah, I I have him in the thirties. And, uh, so I look at him and so just none of his production was very impressive. And the only thing which would make me think that maybe he can do better is he shot 85% from the free throw line. His three point shooting was 35.5%, which isn't that great, but the free throw shooting suggests he, maybe he can become more of that, but the, the rest of his game, it's just kind of, he finished Not really well great. around the rim. I'll give him that. Um, yeah. But. It, yeah, it's just. Um, yeah, he just didn't blow me away. I, I I look at him. He just looks kind of. Okay. Yeah. There's other guards I would rather have. I, I'm in the similar boat and I, it seems to offend people. Um, so I'm like, okay, what am I missing? And I keep promising to go back and watch them more. And I try. I just really didn't like this Michigan team. And especially now that. um Hunter Dickinson has spurned Maryland to go to Kansas. I want to watch them even less in a rewatch. But I think the case for is um, Michigan was considerably better with him on the floor than with him off of it, whereas they were better with Jed Howard off the floor than on it. And Buffkin finishes well around the rim and people think he has more playmaking chops than he's been able to show. And, And I think that's really what you need from a six foot four guy. He's not he's not as long as a case in Wallace. He's probably not that much better of a shooter, if at all. And and by the playmaking, even less. So if you're six foot three and a half or whatever he ended up measuring, I don't I don't have it in front of me. Someone told me they think he's closer to six foot five. I'm like, well, didn't he measure? And I, I just don't have it here 
yeah. handy to see. But it's like, w- what is he in the NBA? He's a he's a, like a two guard only. Um, I just wouldn't value that with the top ten pick. That that kind of breaks me. So uh, rookie scale says he measured at six five and a half. Okay, so that's good size. Yeah, that's but bad. I will say that if he's really a lottery pick, like a you know top 10, 13 pick, and um, Jet Howard is really like a top 20 pick, it's kind of an indictment of Jawan Howard as a yeah. coach there because that team should have been better than it was. I And I've got to say, I don't get Jet Howard at all as a top prospect like that. I mean, he can shoot, but it's his other production, his non-shooting production is just shocking, shockingly low, really yeah. bad. And and Hunter Dickinson, for all his flaws as an NBA prospect, is still one of the five best bigs in college basketball. So like they had those three guys and and couldn't win. Now, granted, they lost their real point guard Jalen Llewellyn early in the year, but um, they were the second best defense in the Big Ten. I think everybody attributes a lot of that to Kobe Bufkin and his on ball pressure and things like that. So so maybe you just say he's an elite wing or you know guard defensive prospect who can shoot it and maybe play make that that's still like okay i can get there in the 13 to 18 range if if that's what you really see i still some if some team takes him at nine or the wizards took him at eight i think i would fall over dead um personally i I just uh you know here's a stat for you just to, to, to finish things off in 922 minutes this season jet howard got eight offensive rebounds on the season. It's almost hard to do at six foot eight. Like yeah. you have to kind of try like duck out of the way of a few of them. Yeah. It, it's literally like, did he just run away from the ball? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Kev, anyone you want to close us out with here that we haven't talked about? We only hit like 35 guys. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we pretty, I mean, we've gotten, I've got to mention Ed Crosswell. Uh, yeah, I think we're pretty good. Demoy Hodge, who you liked, um, it will probably be another one of those guys. I think Demoy was on your list, right? Yeah, Demoy. I've got him like just outside the first round grade, but he can really shoot, man. Also worked so. out for the Wizards, so good job, Wizards staff, looking at some of these under radar guys. You had Tavion Kinsey, who I'm trying really hard to get on our podcast because uh, we have some Marshall connections. Um, yeah, be. I, I don't know. You have an excellent shooter. I don't know if I would go excellent shooter, but he is an excellent scorer. Um, I, Kinsey. Yeah. Hold on, let me let me find him. Yeah, well, um, I mean, he shot forty percent on threes, and, and I think he had four years before that where he was like in the low thirties. So I, yeah. I, I, unless, well, he's improved know. his shooting then because he was he also seventy four percent from the from sure. from free throws and fifty six percent on twos. So he's I mean, an instant bucket. Whatever whatever label you want to give him, he he'll he'll give you offense in the NBA. I think you know, and and Marshall's not exactly the strongest. Uh, Sure. competition but he there's playmaking there there's steals um not a lot of turnovers i mean i'm not saying i would i mean obviously i've got him in the 40s so it's not like but he's the kind of guy where if he's if he got a second round pick if he ends up on a two-way for somebody i think that's a worthwhile shot and i i'm happy with the wizards undrafted team free agent that. type yeah yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And he'll know how to play in an nba offense learning in under the other d'antoni brother so that's pretty cool yeah, that's that is cool, and his shot profile should be good. Yeah, exactly. He'll be ready to go for that. Yeah, uh, Kevin, thank you for doing this for everybody who has not checked out yet. Go to Bullets Forever. It's at the top of the page right now, or by the time you're listening to this, it'll maybe be an article or two further down the page. But uh, it's Kevin's Yoda Big Board. Give it a look. It's really interesting stuff, and there's a lot of numbers that go into it. Unlike my uh, 
hey, I watched this guy and he made me feel good about things. So he's a lottery pick. Hey, we each have our own approaches. That's right. Uh, and check out uh, the So Wizards podcast if you're listening to this and not already subscribed. Shame on you. Um, <laughs> Kevin, appreciate you, man. Uh, I'm looking forward to our live show. Another shameless plug. Yeah. Everybody on draft night, check us out. We'll be kind of doing this kind of convo about these guys in real time. So yeah, um, that should be get, a lot of you'll fun. Get, you'll get deep analysis, hopefully. Yeah. All right, everybody, you know the drill. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We're presented by betonline.ag, and we will catch you next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube